invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 4. Um, over this series, uh, uh, many of the questions we've been answering have taken us to several different passages. Uh, as last week, Pastor Luke addressed how or uh, what does the church do? The church gathers. As you look into Scripture, there are several different points of reference, both prescriptively and descriptively, that describe how and when and where the church gathers. However, though, for this particular uh, part two of answering the question, what does the church do, uh, we are looking into uh, one particular passage today, and that is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there this morning. As you're turning there, I want to just kind of overview what we're trying to do this summer. We uh, are taking advantage of an opportunity uh, that I've likened to a, a wilderness experience, that we are the church in the wild walking through just a, a unique and challenging time. And one of the things that we, we highlighted that very first Sunday that we looked at the passage in Deuteronomy was that God uses the wilderness experience, that, that transitional uh, journey, as a means of serious testing in preparation for significant blessing. Now, I think it's important for us to understand this because this is, this is a time where God has brought us to a place where we can stop and take a look at what we are as the church. We can take a good look for that matter because how life has normally functioned has now come to a screeching halt. And what we're trying to do essentially is to just peel back the curtains and look at what the church is. And we talked about how the church is a diverse people who exist locally, globally, and eternally by the plan of the Father, the work of the Son, and the presence of the Spirit. After we talked about what is the church, we answered the question, then who's in charge of the church? And that specifically is God. He's the one in charge. But specifically, God extends his authority to his followers to start, serve, and ultimately safeguard the church. So now that in this kind of overview, we've established what the church is and who's in charge of the church, it's important for us to understand what does the church do? And within our church, we've kind of identified what the church does by three uh, strategy points or, or three hopefully memorable words that, and that the church gathers, the church grows, and ultimately as well, the church goes. So this is week two of answering this question, what does the church do? And specifically this morning, we're answering that the church grows. And for us to kind of unpack this, I want to maybe give you just another clarifying question, or at least kind of the question that's going to help guide our discussion today. And that is, how does the church grow? How does the church grow? Today we're going to look and see how the church grows by God, over time, and in love. So when you think about the growth of God's church, I want to have this, this statement kind of stick with you and, 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 and resonate this morning. The church... The diverse people who exist locally, globally, and eternally, this church grows by God, 
over time, and ultimately in or into love. That's going to be our rubric this morning that helps us understand how does the church grow. Church grows, you can even say it with me, by God, over time, and in love. Let's pray. Father, we need you this morning. Lord, we need you because uh, our minds are prone to wander. Uh, Lord, we are uh, inclined just to be thinking of what's next. Uh, you know, probably many of us will be on our phones. And there might be something that pops up, a reminder, a text, uh, a notification. Lord, I pray this morning we would be captured, uh, our, our attention would be captured by your spirit, by the power of your word, and we would walk away today seeing more clearly how the church grows. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first question, or excuse me, the first point here this morning, when we're talking about that the church grows by God, we're really speaking of the means of the church's growth. This is how the church grows specifically by God. We're talking about the means for the church's growth. And to look further at, into this, I want to have you uh, turn, if you haven't already, to Ephesians 4, verse 11, where we pick up this discussion where Paul was telling the Ephesian church all about the church. And it says in verse 11 that, and he gave, excuse me, uh, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So when we're talking about that the church grows by God, specifically what we're first identifying here in Ephesians 4 is that God is providing leaders. God gives the church leaders. In verse 11, Paul shares a list of leaders for the church that find their origin in God. The object of this verse here in verse 11 is to show how the Lord has made ample provision for both the extension and the edification of the church. I want us just to put our uh, academic hats on for a minute. I don't often maybe go this route, uh, but I think it's important to emphasize that the church is growing by, by what God does. When you look at the verb in verse 11, we see specifically that this is God who is the one providing the leadership of the church. And notice it says, and he gave. Now, in our English language, we talk about tenses normally as past, present, and future, right? I ran, I am running, or future tense, I will run. What's interesting about Greek is that how we talk about tenses in English is usually in regards or exclusively in regards to time. However, when you look into the Greek language, the idea of tense and verbal action is a little more complex. And, here why, and here's why this is significant. When you look at this Greek verb, the verb he gave, what you're finding is that the action of this place took place in the past. It has a past tense to it. But what's interesting about this particular verb, it has ongoing implications. Specifically, what we find here is that when God gave, it has a singular point of reference, when God gave the apostles, the prophets, the shepherds, the pastors, teachers, this was something that occurred in the past, but it has an ongoing implication. 
And specifically that ongoing implication is that God continues to equip or provide leaders for the church, not necessarily by he himself like establishing the leadership as he did with Peter or Paul. But if you notice, what happens is that once God provides the leaders, he then secondarily has those leaders, we learn in verse 12, equip or train the believers. So this idea of God giving the church leadership was and can be identified to a very specific time and place. However, what we find is that with the extension of that verb he gave, we find that God continues to supply leadership, not necessarily by he himself directly appointing people, but what we find here in scripture, that those leaders have taken it upon themselves to equip and train other believers. So the church grows by God, first of all, providing leadership, but by secondly, by having leaders who have trained other believers. Look what it says here in verse 12 says, first of all, that these, this leadership that God himself has provided, they have been called to do what? To equip the saints. Now, I want to be really careful here because we don't often use the word equip. Equip is not a word that we use too frequently in our, in our, in our common vocabulary. So what does this word equip mean? I think when you press into it, it has the idea of training or development, a, a process of preparation. I think a silly but maybe helpful way to illustrate this would be what we witness in countless of movies in uh, a montage scene. You know, you know what those are in movies, like those scenes where, uh, for me, one of my favorite ones, and I've, I think I've said this before, one of my favorite montage scenes is in the movie Rocky Three. Have you all seen Rocky Three? Anyone? One, two. I appreci Elijah, appreciate that. So in Rocky Three, you have the movie starting off with our hero, Rocky, taking a beaten by the opponent named Clubber Lang, otherwise known as Mr. T. Little little uh, movie history for you here. And, and Rocky is just like devastated because not only does Rocky take, take a beaten, Rocky's manager dies as well. It's a sad scene in the movie. So after coming out of that fight, Rocky's a mess. Uh, he wants revenge, but he feels defeated. And then all of a sudden steps in Apollo Creed. And Apollo Creed is significant because Apollo Creed was Rocky's first foe that he overcame. Why is all this significant? Well, because Apollo Creed takes Rocky through this process of preparation. R Apollo equips Rocky to fight Clubber Lang. And what you see in the movie is like this probably about a 10-minute montage of this season of training where Rocky goes through all of this intense fighting, even crying. It's just this very emotional, moving scene that ends with them on the beach, you know, having this sprint. And finally, uh, Rocky outsprints Apollo Creed, identifying his training is complete. It takes place in 10 minutes, right? It, it's, it's a beautiful scene. When you think about the dynamic that we have been called into here in verse 12, where we are to be equipping or training others, it's not as simple as a montage scene in a movie, is it? Sometimes we wish it would be. But what we find here is that God has called the leadership of the church to equip the saints, to train them, to prepare them, 
And notice what the goal of this training and preparation is for. To equip the saints for what? The work of the ministry. And he even qualifies it further for the building up of the body of Christ. So what we find here is this paradigm that God sets up for us to look at, to see specifically how the church grows. And that is specifically God provides leaders, and secondarily, those leaders train other believers. Now, just to make sure I'm not saying something that's confusing or misunderstand me, I still think God is involved in calling men and women into his service. I, I don't want to be unclear about God's role in establishing leadership for the church. I think the way God does that and the way God has done that now for, for literally centuries is not in the same way he did that when he started the church. Does that make sense? So I think when God began the church, specifically when Jesus was here upon this earth and he called out these men and women, it had a, a very different feel than the way that God calls out men and women to serve him today. So I want to be clear that God is still involved in all of this. However, how we see the continuation or the extension of church leadership is not necessarily through God hand-selecting 12 disciples, but through pastors and faithful men and women equipping those in the church for the work of the ministry. And look what this is designed for. This is designed, the goal of this training focuses on preparation to serve those where you live, work, and play, and even more specifically, for the development of the church. I think it's easy when we think about church growth, like how does the church grow? I think it's easy for us to look at like the, tr the trained professionals and think, well, you know, pastor so-and-so, he grows the church. Or youth pastor so-and-so, he makes the youth group bigger. I think if we're not careful, we all of a sudden rely unnecessarily and in an unhealthy way for the trained professionals to do the work of the ministry. But when we understand the paradigm before us here, where God is providing the leadership, and the leadership is equipping and training the saints for what? The work of the ministry, specifically the building up, the maturity and development of the church, then all of a sudden, the weight of responsibility is shared. And even more specifically, we matter so much more to the health of one another. You and I can't grow the way we ought to if you and I don't take our call to this seriously. Does that make sense? Like, God has set up this beautiful, beautiful picture for us to see that the church grows by God, providing leaders, providing leadership, but then secondarily, as a part of that providing that leadership, that leadership equips and trains the church to build herself up. We'll talk more about what that looks like in a minute, but I just want to make sure we understand that this is a call for every single person in this room, online, anyone who's a part of God's church, to take seriously their role in the lives of one another. Equipping the saints for the work of the ministry 
specifically for the building up, the maturity, the development of the body of Christ. So at this point, hopefully it's clear that this is the growth of the church is by God. He provides the leaders, he sets those leaders up, and those leaders then do what God has prepared them to do, and that is to train others for the work of the ministry. But one of the things I think is important as we unpack the question, how does the church grow? Well, the church grows by God, but the church grows over time. And a way for us to understand the growth of the church over time is by looking at the marks of the church's growth. So we looked at the means of the church's growth, but secondly here today, we will look at the marks of the church's growth. Notice Paul says this, this providing of leadership, equipping of the saints, this, this growth of the church has, has a timeline, a, a, a time stamp on it. And this is to occur, verse 13 says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. You see, the first mark of the church's growth is unity. Now, that seems a little bit, I don't know, know ironic's the word, but if I were to say, what do you think would be the sign or the first sign of the church's growth, you probably may be tempted to say what? I, I may need to hear you a little bit louder. You may need to say what? Numerically, right? Like actual size, increase of size. It's interesting, though, the first thing Paul says after speaking about how the church grows, a sign of the church's growth is in inherently numerical, a numerical value. It's a moral value. It's one of unity. And notice this is a collective unity. Unity. Paul says, until we all attain. And he's not just merely speaking to the Ephesian church or to this church. He's speaking of the entire church. Until all the church attains unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. You see, one author notes that this faith and knowledge express both the source or the means of our unities. Our unity. Believers are to be united together by believing in the Son of God and by personal experience with the Son of God. This does not mean that we are decree, we are all, excuse me, that this does not mean to a point where we are all, where we all agree about our faith and about our knowledge concerning the Son of God. See, this passage is not about different doctrines and heresies, but about the unity of believers. It means being like one in the way we trust Christ and in the way we experience the Son of God. So specifically, it's not that we are all going to upon this earth. Unity is not that we all agree on every single doctrine, on every single point of doctrine. The point of unity that Paul is calling us to here is one that is experienced in a relationship with Jesus. And ultimately, that calls us to the timing of this unity. Let's be honest. For us to experience this type of unity, a unity of both knowledge and faith in the Son of God, it has a much longer goal, I think, than any one of us realize. You know, this past, about two weeks ago, uh, we had a, a leadership meeting. We were talking about, you know, just 
matters of the church. And, and, and one, of our, one of your pastors brought up just the point that seeing growth in the church, but seeing growth in the lives of individuals in the church is not as easy or as simple or often as measurable as we would like. And I think it's easy, I'll speak for myself, to be tempted to want to see certain goals and, and, and measurements and, and, and achievements, if you will, in the life of the church or in your lives personally. And it's easy to think, well, you know, are, am I a failure? Are we a failure? But when all of a sudden we consider that God grows the church over time, and that time frame is much different than our own. That time frame is one that he himself knows. All of a sudden it puts in, into perspective the development or specifically the maturity of the church. If God is the one growing the church over time and he's growing it into a unity and I think it allows us to be much more patient, and I'll speak for myself, much more content if things don't go the way we want. And the second mark of the church's growth is maturity. Notice what he says here in verse 13, the second part of verse 13, that the church is growing, and this is occurring until this mature manhood and specifically to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This immature of a man references a complete man, the man who has reached full growth and is in a state of strength, vigor, and wisdom. I think a helpful description of this, uh, just for our own, like, maybe earthly view, would be found in, in Luke 2.52. Uh, Luke describes Jesus as increasing in, in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. However, this next phrase, the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ, kind of expands what that mature manhood looks like. It explains what the apostle means by a perfect manhood or a full manhood. The picture of this picture is the body of Christ having a gradual growth, like a natural body, and coming at last to full and complete stature. I think what we see in 1 Peter helps us, excuse me, 2 Peter helps us understand what this growth looks like. Peter says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and with virtue knowledge and with knowledge self-control and with self-control steadfastness and with steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as you can see here, this process of completion is one that is going to be a lifelong journey for us. This growth of the church that we experience is one in which God has placed us in and is pushing us towards this maturity, but it's something that is going to be a lifelong journey. And we, unfortunately, have a temptation to want to microwave these type of processes. Like, I think about this, um, this past week, I tried uh, Popeye's chicken sandwich for the first time. Have any of you tried Popeye's chicken sandwich yet? Okay, so I, I heard a lot about it, and I was pretty excited. And um, I go into this Popeye, and I, and 
maybe it's not across the board to all Popeyes, but it seems as I kind of explored later to be the case. I had to wait forever. And granted, I'm going to Popeyes because it's fast food, right? And so I'm waiting forever. And so the, the longer I wait, you know what that's doing to my anticipation for the sandwich? It's, it's affecting it. It's, it's making me think, man, this better be good. I'm waiting for so long for this. I mean, like way too long for uh, fast food. I gotta wait, right? Yeah, so I, I remember, you know, going to the car and it, it looked great and, and it tasted good. But the reality was as a consumer, I have an expectation for fast food. Now, when you compare that experience of waiting, it's pretty dirty, the food is decent, compared to, you know, the, the, you know, the glorious mecca of, of fast food chicken, Chick-fil-A, there's no comparison, right? Like you can't compare the two because not only is Chick-fil-A fast, the chicken is amazing. And all of a sudden, as a consumer, I'm like, I ain't going to Popeye's because they're not doing things the way I want them to do it. I'm going to go where I can get what I want. We have this mentality, and often I think, not often, I think very frequently, it has crept into our understanding of not just growth in the local church, but growth in our own life. We want things when we want it, how we want it, and if we don't like it, we leave. We go look for something else. And I think this is what's so important when we understand that God has called us in to a family that is growing together. And the growth of that family is taking place over time. And the mark, the marks of this family's growth is unity, but also maturity. Let's be honest, this isn't going to happen overnight. This isn't going to happen in a month. This is what Peter says. If we're adding to our faith all of these different characteristics and virtues, we've got to be in it, A, for the long haul, but also B, together. Because if not, look at what's going to happen to us. As we look at this other mark of the church's growth, that is stability, look at the danger that we face. You see, all of this is occurring, this growth and maturity is occurring, says in verse 14, so that we may be no longer children. I love this image. The, the goal is this maturity, this mature manhood, and Paul compares it with young childhood. We, we don't want to be children. Here's why. They are tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. You know, one of the, the joys of, of taking your young children to the beach is watching them interact with the waves. And having children, my, my children being just 10 to 2, it, it's a very different experience. And now that Layla, our youngest, is getting more comfortable with the water, it's hilarious to watch her just want to like barrel into the ocean, just, just run you know, headlong into the water. But she quickly has learned that when she gets into that water, even in the Gulf with the waves as mild as they are, you know, she can get taken under really quickly. And you think about that, and it's kind of cute, it's kind of scary, I'll be honest. But if that happened to one of you, or if you stepped out into the ocean, all of a sudden, you know, you were taken down, you know, we'd be like, dude, what's your problem? Like, it's not that big of a deal. There's just little waves. The point that Paul is making here 
is that when we are growing in the way that God has designed us to, we will experience a stability that can handle false doctrine, that can handle inerrant teaching, that can handle even self-serving intentions of man. So we need to be careful to listen to the shepherds that God has placed in our lives. First of all, the good shepherd. If we're not listening and hearing the voice of Jesus through his written word, we are going to be like children tossed by the waves. If we as a church don't have a commitment to the word of God, you are fixing to get into a lot of trouble. And I find it just so unbelievable and so arrogant of, of, of myself and any of us who think we can live day in, day out outside of hearing the voice of our good shepherd of Jesus Christ. Why would we want to go about life's turbulent activities without having the stability that comes from the word? Does it make sense? No. But interestingly, and I want to just make a plug here, that you wouldn't just go without hearing the voice of your good shepherd, but that you would be very sensitive to hearing the voice of the shepherds, the local faithful pastors that God has placed in your life. I think especially today, there is a very easy temptation in all of us to find our favorite internet pastor, preacher, and to download his podcast, to have his sermons on YouTube. And, and it's like we go by what, you know, Matt Chandler says or what Tim Keller says. And, and nothing against either one of those men. They love the Lord. They love his word. But there is a unique responsibility that God has placed on my life, on Luke's life, and on Brent's life right now to lead and shepherd you. And the reason I mention that is because us pouring into you and you working together with us is such an important dynamic to your spiritual stability. Now, that does not mean that I'm saying you have, you can't live a life, you know, weaned from us. I'm, that's not what I'm trying to suggest. I'm suggesting that the type of relationship in the construct of the church is that we need each other. And I realize that is, to some degree, a place of vulnerability. That could be, uh, uh, maybe you're intimidated by that. But the reality is, if we're to operate how God has designed us to operate, we need one another for unity, for maturity, and ultimately for stability as well. Those are the marks of the church's growth. Now, I think it would be, foolish for me to say that the growth of the church doesn't involve uh, the, 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 the numerical addition of new disciples as well. I think when you consider the illustration that is given here, you have this, this, this young body that's growing up, that's, that's, literal, that's literally growing and maturing and developing. I think we have to be careful not just to see that growth as purely or exclusively numerical growth, 
Because what Paul identifies here is that the growth of the church is, is most identified or greatest identified, not by numbers, but by morals, but by values, but by character, characteristics of the spirit, unity, maturity, and stability. When we are living the life that God has called us to, we will be making disciples. There will be people coming to know the Lord. There will be an ad the addition of new believers. But it won't be if that is what, you know, is leading the charge. If we get the cart before the horse, then the church will ultimately be unhealthy. So finally and, and quickly here, our third point, we're addressing how the church grows. It grows by God, it grows over time, and ultimately it grows in love. And then we're talking about the motives for the church's growth. Why talk about church growth? Especially, I hope now you're seeing that we're not merely talking about a numeric addition. We're talking about maturity of the church. So what are the motives for this? Well, the motive is of completion. Paul says in verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. The first motive of the church's growth is one of completion. This is important because it tempers our earthly expectations. When we understand that God has a design for us to be completed, to be made into the image of Jesus, we know this is a process that's going to take place over time. And we know it's a process where we need one another. And notice how Paul says this process of growth occurs. He says it occurs when we are speaking the truth in love. You see, we cannot speak the truth in love. This cannot happen the way it, it's ought to without time and trust. Let me illustrate. When I was uh, preparing for planting Bay Cities Fellowship, there were several series of training sessions and seminars that I went through and, and Megan with me. And one of those was a, a two-day long, basically church planting boot camp and assessment. And basically, there was a bunch of work that had to be done beforehand where I filled out surveys and, and, and per took personality tests and had uh, a lot of evaluation from peers and, 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 and mentors and just this whole kind of uh, collection of data to then be uh, dissected and then evaluated in my presence with those who had, you know, were like experts in doing this. And it was a very intimidating but yet intriguing process to go through. And after that was done, they, they printed out this, this, you know, 16, 17-page report of, of how and why, you know, of, of, you know, if I should church plant and, and where I might be successful and also where I might struggle. And they, they spoke that into me personally. They gave that to some mentors in my life to also speak into me. And, and it was like in those two days, I was hearing all these different things, and I, I, I trusted them. But, you know, within two days, how well can you really know somebody? And for that case, you know, they're, they're literally seeing me for the first time. They're like, hey, we, we think you should do this. And I was like, oh, you know, like you're taking it with a grain of salt. I'm not saying that we can't receive it, but think about the difference. I had a couple, an experience a couple years ago where my father-in-law just pulled me aside and spoke some, some wise counsel into my life. At that point, I've been married well over 10 years. Uh, he, had, he had walked with Megan and me through ups and downs. And so speaking truth into my life at that point, because there was time, because there was trust, 
man, that impacted me. That changed me. The point I'm suggesting to you this morning is that, yeah, we can, if we're walking humbly, eager to see what God has for us, we can hear truth no matter whether it comes in love or at the right timing. But the reality is, for this speaking truth and love to occur in its best form takes both time and trust. And we can't, we can't just manufacture that, can we? Luke can tell me things today. Pastor Luke can tell me things today because of the time we spent together and the trust that has occurred. And I'll tell you, the things that he, I hear from him today is much more moving than the things he may have said to me six, eight, almost 10 years ago, right? I mean, and, and hopefully vice versa. <laughs> and when we understand that the paradigm for the church's growth is by God, over time, and ultimately in love, we have to give God and one another the time and space for that to occur. Does that make sense? Because if not, we're just trying to force it through, trying just to make it happen according to our timing. I remember a couple years ago uh, connecting with Ben for the first time. Uh, ben was uh, very eager uh, in his desires for ministry and in just life in general. And we would meet just about every Saturday morning at my old office uh, in East Lake Woodlands. And um, we'd meet there for a couple hours, talk, pray, just kind of get, you know, talk about life, whatever. And it's really interesting, you know, Ben was, had a lot of questions, uh, and, and, I, and I gave Ben a lot of my thoughts too. But it's been amazing to watch just the, the change in Ben, I think because of time and trust, to where now we, have our com we can have conversations, and it's just, you can not only see the maturity in him, but I've noticed just his willingness to ask the right questions and, and, to, and to wait and to listen. That didn't occur just because, you know, it didn't occur accidentally. It, it occurred because there was a season of time and trust that was built where I could then speak truth and love into his life for his good. And you know what's also happened? Ben has multi, on multiple occasions speaking truth, spoken truth into my life. So now all of a sudden the church is doing what it ought to do. The saints who are equipped for the work of the ministry are doing just that, and they're speaking into the lives of one another. This is towards a process of completion. But also, it's one of collaboration. The motive of the church's growth is not just completion, it's collaboration. It says in verse 16, that from whom the whole body joined together and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The second motive of the church's growth is collaboration. To demonstrate this, Paul concludes his thoughts on the church's growth by once again referring to the physical body. The picture, kind of albeit weird, and even maybe a little bit science fiction-y, shows this completed head, this head which is Jesus, and then this undeveloped body that is growing up into it. And the way it grows and the way it functions properly is when every part does their job correctly. These collaborative efforts causes the body to build itself up in love. 
I believe Paul is suggesting that each believer should fulfill their part in the body out of collaborative love. And what does this ultimately mean? As I said earlier, we need one another. We need each other's giftedness. We need each other's wisdom. We need each other's experiences. We need each other to speak truth in love into our lives so that ultimately we can be built up in love together. This morning, as we look at this idea that the church grows by God over time and in love, I want to just conclude with a couple things here. When we look at this picture, we see, first of all, some very important roles. God gives leaders. These leaders train believers. And ultimately, believers build up the church. There's no one that is in this room or online this morning that does not have a significant role or purpose in the life of the church. And I want to make clear that role or purpose is not merely serving it with kids or playing music or even, for that matter, teaching or preaching a sermon. That role and purpose that you have that is eternal and that is significant is when you get into the lives of those in this room and where you live and work and play. That is the work of the ministry that God has called us to and has equipped us for. When we gather together and use our gifts or our kindness to make a welcoming and inviting place, praise the Lord. That's just the tip of the iceberg. And where we are pointing to, where this is pointing us to, is to getting into the lives of one another. When we see this perspective, it's not just about roles, it's about goals as well. The goals of the church's growth is unity and maturity and stability. And this is driven by desires for completion and collaboration. When we are working together in love, speaking the truth in love, you know what's going to happen? The church will grow. We'll grow in unity. We'll grow in maturity. We'll grow in stability. And I guarantee you, when healthy people fill up Bay Cities Fellowship, I guarantee you there will be also new people who are reached with the good news of Jesus who then join in. But if we're not taking our own spiritual health seriously, if we're not taking the spiritual health of those who are a part of this church already, how are we supposed to reach those who are outside of this church? We can't even lead ourselves to the throne of grace. We desperately need one another to grow in the way that God has designed us to. And the third thing that I think we'll gain a perspective of is timing. We may not see the church grow the way we want it to in 2020. <laughs> that would be the most obvious thing I said this morning, right? This is a hot mess we're in. However, we may see God do something amazing. It's his timing. We're doing what we're supposed to do until we see Jesus. That may occur today for some of us. That may occur years down the road. Regardless, what we ought to be committed to to see the church grow is not a gimmick, not a fad, not a scheme, but saying I'm going to give myself, all of myself, all of the time, and all for the glory of God. When we say that, when we say, God, here's all of us, all of the time, all for your glory, you know what's going to happen? The church is going to grow. It will. 
That's the promise. May not grow exactly how we think it will. It may not grow in the timing that we think it may. But when we give all of ourselves, all of the time, and all of the glory of God, the church will grow. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news, isn't it? Because that gives us hope. That gives us purpose. That gives us direction. The church grows by God over time and in love. Let's pray. Father, as we conclude this morning, we're so thankful that we can praise you, that this is a good work that you have done, you have begun. And Lord, as we conclude this morning in song, where we're praising you, Lord, we know that this, this gathering, these people, they're yours. It's, it belongs to you. So let us sing this morning with a renewed hope, a renewed joy, that you are growing your church. Lord, it's, it's from you. It's for you. It's all about you. So let us have renewed perspective on our roles. Every member matters. On our goals, unity, maturity, stability, and also on the timing. It's your timing, Lord. It's, it's all about you and your plans. Let us submit to that in prayer and in song this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.